if I were in charge of creating a financial modeling Hall of Fame, the first three people I would elect are number one, Ran Her, the creator of Pillar Software, and then Alight Planning. Number two, Kel Hoffman, who created Projected Financials, which was then rebranded to White Birch before it was purchased. And by the way, Projected Financials, way, way, way ahead of its time uh, when it debuted. And then finally, a guy maybe you've not heard of, Steve Bailey. Now, I've known Steve since about 2008, and his writing in the Quantrix Modeler Forum. I also got to meet him in person in 2018 at a Quantrix annual event in Maine. This guy is a financial modeling genius, and that is our topic today. And by the way, if you are a CEO, we're not going to get too techie. Many parts of this conversation will resonate. I'm Mark Gandy. This is CFO Bookshelf. Our visit with financial modeling expert C. Bailey is coming up next. When I think about financial modeling, I'm reminded of teenage dating when I was a kid many, many years ago. Everyone talked about it No one, I mean, no one did it right. And so that was my first question for Steve. We we talk about modeling, but do most business people, do we really get it? Yeah, it's true because I think it has to do with the perception of skill sets. Uh, You know, I work in a lot of different FP&A groups and with accountants and, and so forth. And I think there's an idea that if you're, a financial person or an accountant or something, you sort of intuitively know how to build models. Um, And what we find a lot, uh, besides the normal just problems with mistakes and errors and and so forth, it's just fundamental design questions. So, you know, when we're, when we're building models in my, in my company, of course, we're, we're looking to build a model that's robust and extendable and basically you don't have to go in and, and crack the logic open every time you want to add a new product or a new line of business or something. Um, and there's a lot of techniques that we use to do that. We also leverage a database uh, a lot more uh, than you would if you're using a, you know, a spreadsheet type tool that doesn't write to database they read okay they just don't write which you know when we're able to write um opens up a lot of possibilities for us um as well as creating multiple versions of plans multiple um you know scenarios if you will and then provide those to the database so they can be you know some visualization tool can use them so uh but yeah i think the fundamental premise though is correct that people still there's still a lot of folks out there building financial models that they may be subject matter experts in their industry and, and the, the nuances of finance, but when it comes down to actually building the model that would withstand the test of time uh, and the rigors of um, like scenarios and uh, repeatable type processes, that's, I think, where the modeler comes forward um, to build those models as opposed to you know deep subject matter expertise. You brought up an interesting point at the very beginning. I've mentioned this on my Twitter account a couple of times. I never get pushback on it, but I'm not convinced that accountants should be the people who should be modeling. Now, I know you have an accounting finance background, but just because you're an accountant doesn't mean, oh, I am the modeler in the company. Do you get right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so here's an interesting thing that we've been getting a little bit more involved in is this concept of when you're modeling between modeling the accounting values versus the economic values. So a lot of modelers will build financial models so that they can reconcile those financial models to the accounting records after the accounting's done with all the things that you do as an accountant. But the true economics of some of the decisions, and I mean, the most obvious one is the difference between cash and accrual, but but there are other subtleties in there about how allocations are made um, and things of that nature that really can skew the true economics um, as opposed to just getting the, the accounting correct. Um, and so what we've been able, we're starting to do more of is building models that have both values in them. 
So you can jump back and forth and say, ah, so this is how it related to the actuals, but this is the, the, the sort of the values we should be building our, our, our decisions on. And the economics, sort of, the accounting sort of falls out of that. I was so excited to be able to talk about this topic, especially if you, with you. I said this in email in private. There are three people on the planet I would love to have a conversation with about driver-based modeling, and you're in that, that list of three. So here's, here's a very extremely strong opinion. I'm not going to call it a fact, but a very strong opinion. I think the best way for any CEO, any CMO, any COO, the janitor, uh, the, the head of admin, the best way to learn how a business functions is to see it in the form of a model. Do you agree with that opinion? Yeah, I, I do, because um, you're going to touch on all areas of the company. I mean, so we, we regularly have subject matter experts we work with on the operations side, the accounting side, the HR side. So we, when we're building these large integrated business planning models, um, you know, we're, we're interfacing with a lot of different folks and trying to capture their, their way of seeing the world. Uh, within those models. Um, you know, I have folks that work for me and, and one of them, uh, she's, I dare say she's as a, as a, a consultant to this company, I dare say she probably is one of the few people in the company that has a full view of all aspects of the operation and the, the interdependencies and interaction between those different parts of the company is um, large manufacturing organizations. So uh, I agree with you because you know, when we sit in meetings, she's the one that answers a lot of questions about what's what and who's who's doing what and what part of the company and what that means to the sort of, you know, overarching models that we've put together for them. I first encountered you, as we said in the intro, you were working at Quantrix at the time up in Maine, one of the most, by the way, one of the most beautiful parts of the United States. And a lot of your forum entries, comments, I'm just thinking this guy, his tacit knowledge, it just, it's, it's just incredible. I'm going to guess that many moons ago, you were tasked to do some type of a, a model, and you're probably doing it in whether it's Excel, Symphony, or Quattro Pro, whatever it was back in the 90s or whenever you started. I bet you got hooked, yeah. and then you wanted more. Is, is that kind of your origin story of how you got into the modeling? What was your first really cool model that you're you not did? Gonna, you're not going to believe this. Um, so before I was an accountant, I was a police officer. and You were yeah. a police officer? Yeah. That's cool. Well, I, became a, I got done with police work and went into public accounting. I was a cop with a calculator at that point. But before I left public account, or left police work... The first real, and I, you know, I hadn't given it any thought until you just asked me this question, but I started, you know, the first model I really, really uh, sunk my teeth in, and it was in Excel, was sort of evaluating police officers' performance relative to the data that they were capturing in the the systems of the day. So... Um, you know, how many hours they're on duty, how many, you know, uh, traffic enforcement uh, encounters they have. And whether they had a ticket or not wasn't really what we were up to. It's just like, you know, how busy are they? And what types of tasks are different folks getting involved in? And and, and that whole model, actually, I, I, was, I was blessed that the police chief at the time uh, supported the idea. And he actually took it to the police chief's association conference in Seattle. This would have been in, I don't know, 94. Five something like that, and um, so, but of course, it was. I'd like to think I was way ahead of my time on that, but uh, I think it also was very disturbing for some folks as well. But that was probably the first model I got into making, and I wasn't even an accountant or a numbers guy at the time. I was just uh, intrigued with the with that notion, and then I think the fires were really lit. Working on my. Uh, bachelor's degree, I ended up taking a bunch of uh, math courses and really got into that aspect of it as well. Uh, one of which was some programming and, you know, I guess the rest is history at that point. So you've been modeling for more than 20 yeah. some odd years. Is there one model, 
is there one model that just sticks out that this this is like art? This is the Picasso. This is my Picasso painting. Can can you um, think of one? You know, I, I I can think of one that is intriguing to me because it was non financial, and that again is something unusual for for us type of folks. It it actually designed or created document retention plans for multinational companies around the world that if you're in Thailand and you have HR records, but you have a firing, what do you do? Um, So it was completely non-financial. It was really just modeling behaviors of documents. And I worked uh, with one of the uh, world leading experts on document retention. Um, He read all the laws, which I couldn't do. I think I'd rather put pins in my eyes than to do that. But he was really a great guy. Um, And, and, that model lasted years and years. And one of those seminars that you came to, I'm, I'm starting to teach and he's sitting in front of me and I hadn't seen him in 10 years. And I'm like, what well, you're, he goes, yeah, we're still using it. I'm like, holy cow, that's fantastic. Um, but you know, the sort of the, the model of my life, I don't know if I found it yet, but, uh, I think a couple good candidates, um, include, um, one I did for, uh, a university overseas. Uh, that was a really complex model, um, that we did for, for this university. Uh, I spent a lot of time, uh, in Singapore working on it. So that was a really good one. Uh, another one that I probably think is right up there, um, is is for a medical equipment manufacturer that was a that was a good one had a lot of one of the nuances that is when you're dealing in medical insurance arena you've got four people that pay potentially your primary secondary and tertiary insurance and then finally you know the patient might pay something so or pay portions so you know modeling that was had some real interesting flavors to it and um so I, I guess, um, you know, I, I, I've done so many, um, you know, you name an industry, I've created a model for it probably. Solar, I really, really enjoyed solar. Uh, if you fly out to Nevada and you look to the southwest, southeast as you're coming in, you'll see a solar power plant out there called uh, Nevada Solar One. Uh, I, th- I don't know if that's what they call it anymore, but that's what they called it at that time. And I built the model for that. That was really cool. Uh, and I now have another solar model in the works for another company. So that's, you know, kind of coming back around to me again. So that's cool. So those are probably three that jump right out. And by the way, Steve, if you were asking me, what is the model of my life? I would say her name is Mrs. G and we've been married for 37 <laughs> years. I just had well, to say for, that. Yeah. Well, now you just <laughs> threw me under the bus. So uh, no, yes. I did <laughs> not. I, I couldn't, I could not yeah. help that. Yeah, hey, I, I want to talk about my wife. Listen to this now. <laughs> I want to talk about some big ideas in sure. in the world of we, whether we call it want to talk about financial modeling or driver based modeling. Uh, I want to talk about some topics that usually don't get talked about in this conversation. So, and I thought l- let's have some fun with this. But systems thinking versus component thinking. Now, now even though I've given you an interview arc in advance, I've not prepped you for this. So in, in, in the concept or the construct of modeling, whether it's financial modeling or just general driver-based models, where do you think I'm coming from? Where do you think this is headed when I bring up the topic systems versus component thinking? Well, if I had to take a crack at it, um, I would say I generally think more along the system. And, and when I, I'm thinking system in the totality of, of the of the problem, right? I mean, you can't model in isolation. So I got a good example right now, and you stop me if I'm headed down the wrong path on this question. No, you're. I see. I already <laughs> knew you'd nail this. Keep going. So you know, we're, we've done some big models, and there's a, you know this one part of the organization was disconnected from the financial planning, and those financial plans include sort of volumes and activities, and. They were disconnected, so they had their plan, which had no connection to the financial plan. So we've been working to tie that all together so that uh, – and it's it's hundreds of millions of dollars of disconnect. Um, so there's real value in saying if we change the financial plan, does it make sense relative to all the other things that have to go on? Now, i got another client right now too that we're working with that uh, – you know 
they have capacity, a lot of capacity constraints, and one of the unique ones is skill labor, labor skills rather. So they they have people who can do some things, but not all things, and it's very important in their industry that the right people are sort of doing the work because otherwise the wrong people could possibly kill their customers. So, um, but th- that had to be connected with the financial people saying, "Hey, we've got a strategy. We want to grow the company by X amount." Well, that's wonderful, but the you know maybe the operation guys were saying, "Well, no," or you know there are implications to those decisions beyond just a few capex projects. Um, so I-, I tend to be more thinking in system, but. What I find, though, is the entry point for people is more modular. They have a very specific problem on their hand. We need to model our receivables better. We need to model Understood. something else. Yeah. And it's that point when I, when, you know, in talking with them is like, yeah, but who else uses this information? How do we synchronize your organization? And that was a term that uh, one of my clients' executives said in a meeting that he, he sat back and he goes – now I can synchronize the planning in this organization because everybody's sort of working off the the drivers into those decisions. And, and I found over time that, you know, you boil it down in most companies, there's, there's a, only a couple drivers from which everybody else sort of comes off of. You know, the most obvious one is some sort of sales plan, right? If we want to sell 10,000 gadgets this month, you know, yeah, we can put a financial statement together on that, but that doesn't mean our warehouse can handle it, our procurement can handle it, our operations can handle it. You know, can we even sell it to the customers? You know, are there 10,000 gadgets out there that can be sold? What do we need to do to find new customers and new customer classes? Is this going to be distribution, warehouse, big box, whatever? So, um, yeah, so I'm definitely my focus when I when I start talking to folks about modeling is yeah we'll solve the immediate need and then we build in modules so we build with the notion because as you're well aware we build with multi-dimensional modeling tool as opposed to rows and right. columns so snapping together a bunch of modules across common dimensions within the organization makes it very easy to to take that approach one of my all-time favorite books is a book by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Great Divorce. Love the book. I, I would go so far as to say every consultant, anyone who works in consulting with other people should read the book. There's a section of the book where there's an artist up in, I don't know if it's purgatory or heaven, but he's talking to a spirit. So this artist used to be someone who just loved painting the landscape. He loved painting light. He, he painted the way he saw it so other people could see the glimpses of what he could see. But he makes a quote talking to the spirit because the spirit says, I think you've lost your way, buddy. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, one becomes more and more interested in paint for its own sake. This is an observation that I've had. Push back if you want to. Sometimes I sense that some people get more focused on the tool or the paint instead of the outcome. Now, you don't just model. You've been a mentor. You you help other people. I mean, you have to deploy models and uh, transfer them. You have to hand them off. Do you find sometimes that modelers become more... <laughs> More interested in the tool as opposed to what the yeah, tool is Yeah, I mean, for. it's funny. My my phrase I use, like, when I was a child, I thought like a child, right? And and when I was a young modeler, I thought it would be cool if I could write one formula. I thought that was elegance, was to write one formula and see how much I could get to do with it. Um, and I've kind of pulled back away from that because the, even though there were a few formulas, they became, you know, it became a an art form in itself to try to do that. It became unmanageable to try to teach somebody or show somebody what this is doing. So I've kind of broken it down and I do get a little, little less connected from the tool. It allows me to do things that I don't think anybody else can do unless, you know, um, but uh, I, I now think more about the, as you said earlier, the system, the, the, the really long-term view of how we can use the tool to accomplish something, um, you know, 
sort of kind of beautiful um, from from our perspective, right? I mean, I don't know if my somebody like my wife would say what we do is beautiful, but uh, I see the elegance in it. And um, so, yeah, so things like I the database, too. things like using, you know, some of these really advanced, cool data visualization tools uh, and not trying to make everything in the single tool that you're using. So, um yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. Um, I've we've we've taken apart some horrendous spreadsheets over the years. Um, and the the first clue to me that the company has a big gigantic problem on the hands is the word guru comes out followed by macro, and that's usually the recipe for finding yourself in a really bad situation someday. Um, there shouldn't you shouldn't have too many gurus. Um, in the sense that it's gotten so, the tool has gotten so sophisticated and so complex that only a handful of people can actually understand what's really going on inside there. So I probably went off on a tangent on you. No, you did not. This is good stuff. I want to throw another big idea before we get into some other concepts. I, I had for years, for close to 10 years, I was a board member of a financial institution. Mm-hmm. So we talked about stress testing all the time. And even though I was modeling at the time, the concept stress testing never stuck. But then I read the book Stress Testing by Timothy Geithner. And I'm thinking, holy bleep, this is it. Why am I building models with best case scenario, uh, likely scenario, worst case scenario? Why would I, why, why don't I just take some of these, these levers that you talked about earlier why don't I just play around with these instead of having different scenarios? Now, if we want to have scenarios, you know, let's come up with a story, a very specific story, but the concept of stress testing, even in the FPNA world, I don't see that concept written about very often. Is that a focus for you? You know, I I still think uh, I'm being asked a lot by folks for the scenario idea. I, I, I feel like there's more people asking for models that handle scenarios than maybe 10 years ago where they built budget and that was what they wanted or a forecast. But now I'm seeing more interest in variants of budgets and variants of forecasts. But I, but personally, I'd love to get involved with an organization that's, and I, I don't remember where this came from. This was a long time ago. This, it was, and I'm probably don't even have the name right, but it was this notion of like emergent budgeting forecasting where you make plans and as the year evolves, you start figuring out which one is materializing. Like, here's a good example, like the pandemic. You know, if you had five plans on your shelf at the beginning of, say, 2020, when you probably made those plans in October or November of 19, as 2020 starts to evolve, you already have sort of that fork in the road you can take very quickly and say, okay, this is this is the scenario yes. we didn't want to do, but it looks like the scenario that's materializing, but we already know from this plan, we've already kind of thought through some of the things that we might need to do to with that type of plan emerging. Uh, I'd like to I'd like to see more of that um, in but you know it's, it's tough. I mean, People, you know, all kinds of things hinge off of how good you did the budget, even though budget is usually obsolete the moment it's published. Um, So, you know, if you think about the world today, you know, if you build a budget in September, October, by February, you know, it's like, okay, well, that was that was an exercise that we did. But, you know, the world is changing. So being able to 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 be very fleet of foot and have some prepared pathways that you can take, I think is an interesting way to look at that whole process of of planning. If a chief executive officer, any industry, doesn't matter, if they had lunch with you, and if he says, Steve, what is driver-based modeling? Well, I think we touched upon a little bit. I mean, you identify those things um, in your organization that are kind of the the key, the key sort of launching point for everybody. Um, but you know, then you kind of keep continuing breaking that down. Uh, I think you've got a bunch of drivers all the way down, like in some of the modeling I've done, 
you know, I auto-generate um, FTEs in certain roles because of activities that are occurring somewhere else in the model. So, you know, that way, you're, you're as you're moving the big levers up top, all of the little drivers down below are driving, you know, uh, the extra things that you're going to need, whether you're going to need more square footage, whether you're going to need more people in certain roles in certain areas of the business, whether you're going to, you know, you need more material, whatever it is, you know, those drivers are sort of, in my mind, um, you kind of, you got a couple at the top and then they kind of break apart as you go down uh, deeper and deeper in the model. I think it, it probably hinges back to, you know, activity-based costing that some folks were all hot about some years ago. I know you are hired to create models from start to finish, but I have a feeling you have observed maybe someone's taken a stab at a model and they just got stuck. And then that's where you come in and you probably start on a blank, start with a blank canvas. But if some of the models you looked at over the, the years, and I know you've worked with some younger people as well in other positions, what are some of the common, I don't want to call them errors, but common issues or shortcomings that you see. The number see. one problem with models that we come across is order of operations. Um, it's followed secondly by bad by, by bad references, um, believe it or not. Um, you know, there's always that thing that floats around every so often about what is this simple equation? What is it equal to? And you get like five different answers and it's just, it's just, it's just arithmetic. And uh, so that's always good. Um you know, we're good. We one. like to find those things because I think it adds value to to what we're doing. Not only are we building a model for these folks, but we're also sort of in a sort of backhanded way validating what they were using in the past. Um, so uh, I, that's probably two of the quick ones. But I, I think one of the things that, and I think it's the nature of the tools that folks are using. Um, and it's and, and I think it comes out very clear early on and, and, and a little bit startling to folks when we get into the modeling businesses. They the, most people start with the presentation in mind. How, what do they want it to look like when they're done? And and some of that's like I said is the tool they're choosing to use. But I go in and we we, we don't even care about data. We don't care even care about logic early on. We're just trying to extract from them the dimensions of the of the organization. Um, because those are uh, fundamentals. You know, there if you have cost centers and you have products and product families and you have lines of business and you have time various time dimensions and not all time dimensions are the same. I think that's probably one that we uncover is like I'm going to build a model that has 12 months and five years in it. Well, that gets really challenging when you start a fixed asset and put it into service in June and it's going to be a seven-year useful life. You know, um, that is probably a place we find a lot of problems with modelers um, is that they're they're working from a presentation versus structural perspective. Uh, and then – what we do is, you know, when we're all done and the model is cranking out the numbers, then we go in and say, okay, now what do you really want those numbers to look like? And and in the process, it's always 90%. I don't know what that number is, but it's it's fairly common. You go, oh, and by the way, isn't this the way your database is organized? So let's just stick this future data that you never had before into the database that aligns structurally with your historical data. And now guess what happens is your your visualization tools can move seamlessly between actuals and forecasts and put a lot more stuff into context for you rather than actuals have this sort of high, high fidelity visualization and then you get a PowerPoint that has the future, you know, so... Um, I think, I think that would be my short answer to those, that question. Do you ever find some people getting too much detail in the model versus mm -hmm. it, oh, it, all the time? I, I, I thought that might be a, a oh. prominent one. Yeah. So a matter of fact, we recently had one, you know, looking at a five year model and planning skew levels, um, and I actually had a, a prospective client that was in the tobacco industry, and they wanted to forecast 
down to the cigarette oh my package skew. And I, and we're like, you know, you know, it's in a lot of folks want to do customers because that's who they know today. And it's like, you know, five years from now, you know, you may not have Walmart, but you'll have Target. So why don't we just call it big box store or something or, or, or something like that and just plan accordingly. And you can plan your growth in that area as well. It's like if we want to grow 30% in that area, we've got five customers. We don't know who the uh, sixth and seventh customer is that's going to get us there, but we know we got to, you know, better get on it. You know, it's like when the sun comes up in Africa, you better be running. So um, that would be one of those cases where I think getting into the the, the minutia of customers and SKUs tends to mask the real thing you're trying to accomplish. I would say 90% of my models, I have a what's called a unit rate amount structure. Now, I plagiarized that from a tool called Alight Planning that's no longer on the market. It's actually uh, been rebranded. So I use that structure in all of my models. Some people would say, yeah, that's driver-based modeling. You're taking units times rate. And I say, no, that's just a formula. Your drivers start to occur when you have the drivers to those units, and then you may have a driver below it. Is it also possible that maybe you don't have enough drivers? Again, I'm not saying more detail like your situation, but I just think of a great case of sales. Sales takes so many leads, and then so many leads take so many of you know, maybe website presence, or I would assume that is a, an issue as well. Maybe getting not just the right amount of drivers, but the right amount of levels of, of drivers. Yeah. Is, is- yeah. Yeah. We got one right now that's really cool. Um, it's a, you know, you'd recognize it in the healthcare industry. They, you know, they start with, you know, how many clicks you get on a website and, and that just sort of drives and how much it, how much you're planning to spend. That's all kind of the drivers. If we spend a million dollars, we expect to get so many clicks of those clicks. So many will become this. And then, you know, of those, how many become, you know, and you just kind of keep boiling down that pyramid uh, using those drivers. So you eventually get to the, the unit, you know, the quantity level. That's pretty common. But when you were talking, what I was thinking about was, um, you know, looking into the unit and looking at in into the the let's just say the cost of goods sold side of that unit and all of the drivers that could go into that. We do a lot of yes. modeling with some high level bill of material stuff. So, for example, if you know what's the impact is one of your raw materials goes through the roof and does it have as big of an you know it could go up two hundred percent, but is it a big driver? excuse me, into your true costs, right? How much can you absorb in there? What's the, when does the, the red light come on or the alarm go off that says that price is now becoming, you know, here's my accountant piece of me, becoming material in the materials, right? So I was kind of thinking along those lines as you were speaking, but also, you know, that whole um, sales funnel type approach as well. I want to give you a standing ovation for something that occurred years ago. Again, we mentioned Quantrix a few minutes ago, and you were working for them as one of their internal consultants. I don't remember your exact title, but you had, I think it was you that created this, Steve. Correct me if I'm mistaken. It was a one-page document. is a framework, but it's basically how a model should be structured and in my opinion, you've done one of the best jobs of explaining how a model should be documented. Now, there are a lot of great modeling courses uh, in cyberspace, and we don't have time to mention all of them. But I don't think I've ever come across anyone who, who's taught, here is how you document a model. That is important. Now, I'm leading the witness. I know that. But again, just kudos to your work 
in documentation. It's critical, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been blessed to have a tool that makes that documentation a lot easier. I mean, I, I have clients asking me all the time, do we get a manual? No, it's pretty much self-documented in the model, so you don't need a manual. But um, I think I know what you're referring to, and I've I've kind of stepped away. I've, I've, I haven't stepped away from I've enhanced that with what I kind of now talk about as the five-layer five design pattern. And I think it's a little, it's an interesting way to look at building models as a pattern that you follow. Because I think a lot of folks just start with an empty slate and throw some stuff on it and then start moving it around and see if they can get it to come out where they want it to. But I, with this five-layer design pattern, you know, it's a very structured approach. And um, it to me, it, it makes it a lot easier to start with a single cell and build out the model very rap rapidly and very consistently. And, and, and that design pattern became the fundamental sort of piece of the story where we went into our, you know, we started offering modeling as a service where we can build models very quickly and very efficiently for clients and take over sort of the modeling piece of it. Because I think the first comment you made earlier on about, you know, the or I made, I guess, about the skill sets, you know, you... Just because you're an accountant doesn't make you a modeler, um, but does make you a subject matter expert in accounting in that organization. So our position was, well, you know, we can certainly build the models the way you need them to be and, and, and bring in all, you know, all the experience from other industries and other um, clients building models for them as well. So at any rate, thank you for that um, sort of uh, plug there for some work I did back in probably 2007. Um but uh, I, that sounds yeah, right. So, but I, I've, like I said, I've evolved it over the last couple three years now. I've revisited it. Let's back up the truck before we talk about uh, modeling as a service. Do do we get to hear what these uh, five uh, design sure. layers are, or is that no, proprietary? No, it's it's, it's going to sound vaguely familiar, if not completely familiar. So. From our perspective, we model in this this approach. It's structure, logic, data, presentation, and security. Uh, so the first thing we're going to look at when we start modeling is what are the structures, what are the dimensionalities that are going on here, and how are those best organized? So we have a, a we have some tools that say, okay, the first step is identify all of these dimensions, and then the second step is starting to put those dimensions because they're either related or in a relationship with each other which basically, uh, you know, sort of stubs out the, the framework for what comes next, and that's your logic where you begin to, you know, do the, do the math. And it becomes a lot simpler and a lot easier to follow uh, in that way. And then, of course, we bring in, you know, all of the data later. And I, can, I know my New England accent is slipping here. But, uh, yeah, so we can bring that in later and um, expand the model uh, in and then at that point, you say, okay, now I've got all the structure. I've got all the logic. I've got all the computations. The model is producing the right answer. Now, the presentation is I need bits and pieces of that put together in different ways on dashboards and, and so forth and provide some folks with different pieces of that model than some other folks. So that's the security layer. Um, you know, in you know, when you're working with a spreadsheet, there is no security. You really have a choice of I put it in a folder that only certain people can get to, or I put a password on it, which by the way, you can crack with software because I've had to do that because clients have given me password protected files that they've lost the passwords for. So, um, yeah, so it, so a lot of the model building is, goes in the opposite direction of that five-layer design pattern. And that's what I found was, um, you know, turning it on its head made it a lot easier um, to build these models. Um, because, like I said, in Excel, you do security, which usually isn't much of a decision. Presentation is what you're really working with. You throw all the data in there because without the data, you have no idea where to put the formulas. Then you do the formulas, and then you realize, oops, I've got another dimension here so you make a copy of the worksheet and create a second worksheet and the worksheet and then you create a summary worksheet and now your model has gotten exponentially more complicated so we kind of come at it the opposite direction let's promo the heck <laughs> out of your current firm let's just go yeah. all, let's just go all out sure. tell us about your current firm and what is modeling as a service that i think that's brilliant so let's start with the first. 
Yeah, so I've been involved in you know model building for I think you kind of twenty some odd years or more now. Um, I don't know when the, my official day of start was, but uh, so um, I've always enjoyed working with my clients. I've always been involved in different industries. Uh, makes me a lot of fun at cocktail parties. Um, was one <laughs> I was one at at one uh, last the uh, Saturday night and was talking to somebody in the railroad industry and. So, you know, I was lucky I had some experience in that area with uh, with railroad and intermodal stuff. But at any rate, uh, so I've been doing this, and um, I had a, a company before was Foresight Group, uh, and that was really geared towards just client service. We've created model metrics last year. I brought a gentleman in, uh, a former Quantrix uh, person as well. Uh, he's not a modeler. Uh, he's on the uh, market sales and marketing side of things. But we wanted to expand Quantrix modeling or the modeling that we do using the Quantrix tool uh, because to date it's still the best tool I've found to do what I do. I'm not a pitch man for Quantrix. But um, so we looked at the, 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 the industry and the, what that was going on. And we decided that, you know, modeling as a service was – uh, maybe an answer to some folks who want to do better modeling, but they don't have time, you know, it takes time to make time and they don't have time to, to learn a new tool, to learn a new skill, to learn a new approach, like the five layer design pattern. Um, especially if they've been doing it for a long time, they've kind of fall back into their old habits. So, um, you know, modeling as a service is, you know, we can build these models very quickly. We can serve them up on a platform that allows you and others to interact with them. We'll take care of the maintenance. So we'll add the enhancement features uh, as part of your service. We can, you know, manage the the platform for you. We're a partner with you in your modeling and leave your subject matter experts to what they should be doing. Uh, and that is looking at the results of these models and making informed decisions rather than, you know, spending their day trying to figure out A13 plus B54 uh, is supposed to represent. Um, so we take over the whole modeling um, for folks and, and get them on a place where uh, going forward they can can out, not only have the models they need today, but also, as we mentioned earlier, it's structured up correctly for that next layer to get towards more of the system approach as opposed to the modular approach. Uh, so that's what we're up to currently um, in terms of the modeling side. We've got an uh, other initiative going on with some software, but it's not ready for prime time yet. I know that anyone who can walk, talk, breathe, and write a check could probably be a client. But is there a, a, a particularly ideal client that you like to work with? Yeah, I, I, I love the working with the clients are at that point of inflection in their company where they've gone from – to a point where they say, in order to get to the next level, we need another level of sophistication. And, you know, I'm not saying that we are the highest sophisticated uh, approach, but it's certainly one where they're saying, you know, something isn't right. And they're, they're looking to, to build upon, um, you know, some skills that we offer and, you know, very, you know, interested in how to take the business to the next level and set them up for, you know, the next five years of growth and, and planning and whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish, problems they're trying to solve. So those are the, to me, and it doesn't matter whether they're $5 million company or $125 billion company. And I've worked with all of them in that range. Um, so uh, it, that's not really the the key to me is, you know, the size of the company. Um, matter of fact, sometimes they get really, really big. It's sometimes harder because it's nice to work with the, the, <laughs> the owner, right? They, there's no, there's no committee decision to be made. It's like, this is what I want and I'm going to get it. So, but no, it's, I think those are the best clients for me. Um, and, and in, you know, the industries, I love manufacturing. I love solar, you know, I'll, you know, what we would call variable energy, uh, as opposed to um, you know those other types of forms that they, you know green energy it's all variable, but um, those types of things um, those two industries are interesting to me uh, as well. Let's take a very simple professional services firm 
maybe doing $25 million or less? Can I be nosy? What, what might this cost them over time? It's nice that they're not just paying for one project. It's, it's again, it's ongoing. It's like a subscription uh, model. Is, is the pricing, would you say, friendly? I mean, again, can I ask that question? Sure. Uh, uh, it's, I guess friendly is always a matter of perspective. Um, you know, if we're building a model that has, let's just take this current one I've got. It's got uh, manufacturing, um, pretty complicated manufacturing aspect in it. We probably will build thir- probably three weeks, 120 hours, 140, 50 hours of billable hours in there. Uh, and then once the model's deployed, it runs about uh, 15% of that. Um, and then whatever number of user licenses you want to access the platform, which uh, they're about 750 bucks a person uh, for a full for a full member and then 450 for a view-only type of uh, 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 user. So, um, yeah, so I think, you know, a company looking to get a pretty – pretty good model out of the gate they're probably looking in somewhere between the 20 and 30 thousand dollar range um to to get the model up and then probably 10 to keep it going and then but what happens is they go well can we bolt on this can we add that to it and then i think the value proposition keeps growing at that point because we're still under you know we're still under fte um, if you think about it from that perspective, if you hire somebody that you think is going to be your modeler, you're three, six months in before they really might have something good. Um, there, if you found somebody who's, and I got my air quotes up, um, professional model or somebody that's done a lot of modeling as opposed to a subject matter expert, you know, you're, you're going to have a FTE and then of course they're going to be building more models. So, um, you know, if you're, we like to, we like to stay within an FTE in terms of that service we're offering because I think it's easy enough to consume somebody all year to just play, you know, stay on top of these models, especially if they're involved in the month end processing, month end closing, quarter close. Mm-hmm. And those models have to be hand cranked every quarter and every month in order to, you know, I got one client, they had a hundred and, hundred and thirty spreadsheets that were involved with probably 10 worksheets on each of workbooks that, you know, 10 work, 130 workbooks, you know, probably 10 worksheets each that every month, you know, these folks went through and basically made copies of them all and moved the time dimension out one and fixed the formulas. And then by the time they got done loading it and testing it, they were out of time. And it, it was, was wrong. wrong. <laughs> yeah, or they, was, they had a plug. That was a special name for the plug figure. But yeah, that's essentially what they did. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's not value-adding work for somebody. And, and, I, and I also approach it from that perspective is, you know, if you've got a high-value SME, is money well spent for them to spend, you know, a third of their time copy, paste, insert, pound, ref, pull my hair out type work? I don't think so. So our position would be, you know, we, we build models that don't require that stuff. So um, it's it's got to be worth something. Steve, this has been great. You do need to write a book. And when I met you in 2018 up in Maine, I think there were some rumblings that you, you had a book in you and just needed the time to do it. But you need to write a book on this topic. Yeah, I've I've toyed with that idea over time, but um you know, I'm my clients keep me busy, my business keeps me busy. Um so I I really haven't gotten to it. I have some ideas. I've I've done some outlining and and some rough work on it. I always I always go back and forth between writing a book that's really sort of techy versus something that's a bit more comical and more like a novel um i always like the one you had it's required reading for anybody in business school i think it's called the goal it's kind of a novel exactly that explains that you know it's the jimmy john versus the subway sandwich making thing and um so i thought about writing a book kind of in that sort of approach but i don't know if i'm that talented um so creative enough. So I, I kind of set that project aside, but I get asked it a lot for sure. Well, when you write it, I want to be the first person that gets to interview <laughs> after you. I'll also buy 20 copies and just start handing them out 
Because if you if you go to no, I'm serious. If you go to Amazon right now and if you key in driver based modeling, uh, you're going to come up empty. And most of the books yeah. on financial modeling, there well, it's probably going to be an Excel based book <laughs> yep. or some workbook. There's just nothing really, and, and maybe that's just the way it is. It, it's it'd be well, like an accounting book. I, I I can't take credit for it, but on our website um, we have uh, a, a white paper. It's about 13, 14 pages that we wrote um, by Dave Phillips wrote it, but uh, you know, I interviewed me a lot and plus uh, his own background in it. So we have sort of a, you know, a condensed version of that for integrated business planning. So if you don't want to read a long winded novel about from me, that might be a, the short and quick way of getting some perspective on, on that. There are three people on the planet. I'd want to talk to about driver-based modeling. You're in that list of three. Who are the other two? I might want the to call, two, call them. The other two, the other, the first one may be hard to, to reach. He's at a season of life where uh, he's in retirement. I've even ha- have asked him to, to do an interview. I've done a text-based interview in, on LinkedIn, uh, but he said, Mark, I really don't want to do something uh, on a podcast. His name is Rand Herr. He created uh, the Pillar software, which is then bought by Hyperion, which is then bought by Oracle. So that's kind of a big deal software. Uh, when his non-compete expired, and I think it was after that, he created a light planning and uh, a light planning. Then uh, it's it morphed into something a little bit bigger. And I think it's been rebranded. The other guy is Kel Hoffman. Uh, I found a tool called project. It was at the time it was called projected financials. And when I met Kel, the, the guy is a brainiac and, and I will probably send him the link to this show. So he's going to hear this and he may turn 10 shades of red. Uh, I, I introduced him to a former Microsoft salesperson that they eventually hired uh, for, uh, he was on board for a couple of years. Uh, but Kel is just a brilliant, I love hearing him speak. He's a great communicator. He speaks very clearly, succinctly. So he's number two, and then you you are number three. Because I've heard you speak, and I've, I've read a lot of your content on those Quantrix forums. And, and so you, you, are, you belong in that group of three. You are listening to CFO Bookshelf. Lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now, back to our host, Mark Gandy. Now, that's what you call a jam session of two people talking financial modeling. Uh, by the way, Steve Bailey, he was talking about a guide on his website. Uh, the guide is the Model Metrics Guide to Integrated Business Planning. And it's going to have all of the big ideas from his perspective on integrated and continuous business planning. You can find that at modelmetrics.com, modelmetrics.com. Metrics is M-E-T-R-I-X, not a C, but an X. Again, Steve Bailey, you are amazing. I kid you not, he is, in my opinion, in my estimation, one of the top business and financial modelers in the world. So check out that website if you want to learn more. And I have a feeling if you find him on LinkedIn, he'll be more than happy to accept your connection And I'm sure he'd be glad to talk shop with you. Hey, that's a wrap. This is CFO Bookshelf. Until next time. 